eating for health and performance is great, but that's not the only reason we eat. We eat because it tastes good and because it's social and we're celebrating. And Hello and welcome to Life with Ed, the podcast. I'm Julia Wirth, your host, a registered dietitian here in New Haven, Connecticut. And I hope you're all staying healthy and safe and, um, you know, weathering this storm of coronavirus all right. It's kind of crazy. Um, none of us really know what we're doing. So don't feel bad if this is a time that you're feeling stressed or worried. There are a lot of people out there trying to lessen that and, and provide resources so that you can get some support during this time. So if you're interested in anything like that, in anything from a therapist or a dietitian or a doctor, um, I'll put some resources in the show notes or you can check them out yourself on Instagram or on people's websites. Most uh, therapists and dietitians are offering virtual appointments and insurance companies have been really, really great in terms of allowing telehealth um, to be billable. So definitely if that's something you need, don't be afraid to reach out for it. This is a time where relapses are going to be more common because it's stressful. We're stuck inside. You're you know, your PHP or your IOP program might have been canceled. So actually, we're going to talk about that a little bit um, in the article of the day. But um, I just want you to know that we're all in it together. And if you have any questions or concerns about how to get through your eating disorder during this time, um, feel free to reach out to me. Um, And if you have questions, whatever, comments, concerns, you can send them to my email as always. So that's worth your while nutrition, W-E-R-T-H, your while nutrition at gmail.com. Um, yeah, so hopefully I'll hear from some of you, but maybe you're all doing great. So you don't need to email me anyway. Um, here today, I want to just talk briefly about how coronavirus is impacting those with eating disorders. So the article of the day is from Psychology Today. It's by Dr. Ricardo Daye Grave. Um, And he, it's pretty lengthy, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you can go check it out, of course. But I just want to read this segment to you so you can get an idea of what it's about. He writes, people with eating disorders have a high risk of relapsing or worsening the severity of their disorder due to infection fears and the effects of the quarantine and for the shortage of adequate psychological and psychiatric treatments due to the pandemic. So that is where he's sort of referring to a lot of like PHP, IOP, and even in-person treatments of any kind have been canceled, which is terrifying for a lot of people who were right in the middle of treatment. He goes on to say, infection fears tend to increase the feeling of not being in control that in people with eating disorders is often managed with an increase of dietary restrictions or other extreme weight control behaviors or with binge eating episodes. On the other hand, the quarantine creating the separation and restriction of movement can contribute to the maintenance of the eating disorder psychopathology through several mechanisms. He says that the limited possibility of walking, exercising can increase the fear of weight gain that is usually addressed, accentuating the dietary restriction. The exposure to high food supplies at home can be a trigger for a lot of people with binge eating or, or another eating disorder. Um, the close and prolonged coexistence with family members can be a trigger. Um, staying at home can increase social isolation, which is a really common feature of eating disorders. So obviously this whole time is not only stressful for everyone, but incredibly stressful for those with eating disorders. And if a relapse does happen, um, it's not totally unexpected. So just, you know, stay strong, do your best and don't be afraid to reach out for help. There are a lot of people trying to help 
those with eating disorders right now. So um, we're here for you. Today, we are continuing the sports series that I started two weeks ago with Dr. Paula Quattrimoni, and then we continued with uh, Lindsay McGovern last week. Um, after a little break from dietitians, we have another dietitian back on. Her name is Nicole Farnsworth. She's a dietitian at the Female Athlete Program at Boston Children's Hospital. Um, I had a wonderful time talking to Nicole. She's super funny and has a lot to share about females with uh, eating disorders and to our athletes. So I think you'll learn a lot from her. Um, It was really funny for me too, because I used to be a patient in the female athlete program at Boston. So it was cool for me to hear about it from a practitioner in the program when obviously my viewpoint is as the patient. So I hope you enjoy uh, this episode. Next week is our last week of the sports series. So if you have any sports questions you want answered before that episode comes out, um, please don't hesitate to reach out. Again, my email, worthyourwildnutrition at gmail.com. So without further ado, here is Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Hi. Oh, I'm excited to have you. Um, I'm actually from Boston and grew up going to Boston Children's, so it's exciting to have someone from there on. Oh, so wonderful. And it's actually, I mean, it's great. I'm actually not from Boston, but one thing I knew when I was moving here um, to Boston from, from California where I grew up was like I knew a Boston Children's Hospital, so it feels very full circle to be to be working at an institution that I could hear about um, an entire coastline away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's very well known. So I just want to start with how did you get into the field of eating disorders? Yeah, absolutely. So my route into the field of eating disorders is almost through my route into sports and sports nutrition. Mm -hmm. So I started out wanting to get into the sports and sport medicine field. I was a pre-med in college and an athlete myself um, on the track team and just really, really loved being an athlete and wanted to help other athletes with their health and performance. And after I graduated, I actually ended up working a year in uh, research at HSS in New York and it was a great experience, but actually realized about, you know, into that, that I was like, oh, I should look into nutrition. There was a great sports dietitian there um, that worked really well with the orthopedic surgeons. And so I kind of found my route in sports nutrition through that. And then when I was, uh, in graduate school, I had a presentation that I distinctly remember the female athlete triad coming onto the slide. And I remember it really resonating and being like, oh my gosh, like I've seen this, I've had discussions, but I've never heard of this before. Yeah. I remember being really surprised by that. And I'm like, how is this not a thing that athletes know? And so it became really in that moment that I wanted to be in the field of sports dietetics, but really talking about that kind of trifecta or really now this was 2013 so it was right before before reds yeah (laughs) i know it was a little early for relative energy deficiency in sport but it became like i wanted to educate about that and through that it was really thinking okay there is obviously the unintentional causes of low energy availability but becoming really well versed on the intentional causes like disordered eating and eating disorders became something that i realized how to really become part of my practice. And I was also very fortunate to have spoken with a few dietitians before even really going into dietetics wholeheartedly who very much were vocal about if you want to be a sports dietitian, you really should have training in eating disorders. Yeah, and for I'm sure. so glad 
because as a provider now and a professional, you see it so much. And so having the experience, the education, and I love just being able to balance out the work of working with an athlete, but also working through their relationship with food. So it's such a, it's such a great subset really of, of working in the sports field. That's awesome. So tell my Mm -hmm. listeners a little bit about the sports and eating disorder program you work in at Children's. Absolutely. So I work in the female athlete program, um, and that was founded and is, uh, it is at the home of Dr. Catherine Ackerman, and she is a sports endocrinologist. She's triple board certified and super great at her job and really world-renowned for what she does. And so she really started this program after her experiences on the national rowing team and just seeing that there needed to be more resources for female athletes. Mm-hmm. And uh, when did she officially so- start the program? I want to say 2011. Okay. I believe. That's, so I actually first, was her yeah. patient. So <laughs> that's why. Really? Yeah. Really? Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I think in 2011. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right at the, right at the very beginning. You yeah. Were, you were that's so funny. In the action when it all started. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So that's funny. Okay. Because when I was oh, there, I don't think it was called the female athlete program. Like my mom had heard of her and like knew she was like really interested in female athlete um, triad and just had the specialty in eating disorder. So she took me to her because she was like, well, if Julia has a problem, like I'm sure, you know, Kate will say something. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's so that's so very cool. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So in your yeah. so tell me a little how the program has expanded because it, it sounds a lot bigger than when I was there. Yes, yeah. So it's definitely it's definitely gotten bigger. So now um, there's multiple positions working in the program, um, and some are based in Boston, in Waltham. Um, we have one in North Dartmouth. Okay. Um, so we have you know in the in in the Longwood medical area as well as in the greater Boston area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. We do have um, sports psychology as part of it as well as nutrition. Um, and so it's myself and Laura Moretti. Um, and so really, really trying to expand and bring in you know different kind of providers. Really a big fan of that like team approach and multidisciplinary care. Um, which is great, especially having providers who are just down the hall from you. Yeah. Um, since that collaboration is so key, it could, it could be as simple as you just saw a patient and they're on your doctor's roster next to you, just kind of walk down and knock on Dr. Ackland's door. And you're like, hey, just heads up. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so great. Yeah, and so there's that strong, really strong, like, clinical work. And then there's also the research and kind of, like, more advocacy. So. Um, we do uh, a number of research projects through the uh, female athlete program. If you ever stop even on a research meeting of ours, it's just packed with <laughs> lines, like lines, pump lines of, of projects that you know Dr. Ackerman's a part of, um, that we as um, other providers are are involved in as well. Um, about all things male and female athletes, uh, and really just trying to understand how to better better support you know these athletes in a variety of ways and better understand how their bodies are responding to, you know, different energy available states as well as low energy availability, trying to understand how to, you know, how their bodies are, are responding to training, to nutrition. So awesome. it's a really kind of fun dynamic. Uh, again, another kind of like thing that we, we do as part of the program, which is good. 
So in terms of when a patient comes into the program, do you have a protocol for assessing them for eating disorders? Because I would guess that a lot of athletes aren't even thinking that way when they come in for a stress fracture or something. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So many of them come in primarily through medical and right. they may be coming in for, yeah, like a stress fracture or multiple stress fractures. Yeah. Years, <laughs> That's why I was there. So like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you're, you're like, what is happening right now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And and what sport were were you when you were uh, at the time? Were you were you a runner? I was. Yeah. So I was yeah. on like the cross country and track teams from my high school, and I yeah. came into the office. It was still like in downtown Boston at that point, um, like just there. Mm-hmm. And I think it was actually in like yeah. the Harvard building across the street. And yeah. um, they you know they did the MRI and the X rays and all of that, and then. Dr. Ackerman like hit my leg with a tuning fork or something (laughs) and it hurt so bad and she was like yep that's because you have four stress fractures and I was like shocked out of my mind yeah (laughs) you're like that's really uncomfortable I was like did did you have to do it that way like couldn't you just (laughs) look at the x-ray like I don't know right absolutely (laughs) that's amazing yeah, yeah. So, like, typically we'll have someone who's coming in from more of a medical perspective. And since Dr. Ackerman is, like, a sports endocrinologist, maybe they're coming in, yeah, because they have the multiple stress fractures. Or some come in because they're very fatigued. So they think, okay, is this something that's going on from, like, a thyroid perspective? Uh-huh. Like PCOS, like maybe. That. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, which we do see as well. And so they come in and meet with Dr. Ackerman or any of the other providers in the program. And the providers are very you know, well, they understand the whole athlete and the um, the way that low energy availability affects all the different systems. So when they're doing their assessments, they're really trying to understand, you know, for female athlete, like, how are you getting a monthly menstrual period? Um, um, how, how, how is your relationship with food? Um, and really trying to, like, get to things around the kind of eating and, you know, if they if the physician suspects there's anything going on, they'll send them to nutrition and they'll send them to support sites. Mm-hmm. So then they'll start getting kind of worked up from from our end, um, from the nutrition side and from our sports psychologist uh, on site, um, and then really start to understand like if they suspect anything, um, if they can get like a more formal diagnosis. And right. some some athletes are very upfront and they recognize there's something going on and they're like, hey, I know that. This is not how I'm supposed to be approaching food. Yeah. Supposed to be approaching exercise, and some people are so self-aware. Yeah, that, that was not me, as, man. Okay, right. <laughs> and, it's, and it's as simple as saying, like, "Hey, well, you know, we have we have a way to help. Go, go check out with our sports nutritionist." And most of them are totally down for that. <laughs> They're mm-hmm. like, "Sure," um, or or go go check with our. You know, we have some great mental health support, and so so many we're very fortunate are like very willing to bring in that next step. Um, but yeah, many come through initially through the more of the physician's evaluation since they're usually coming in from more of like they're frequently getting injured or right. So I guess one thing, yeah, one thing I was wondering, um, was that does every patient sort of get equally assessed for having an eating disorder or potential disordered eating problem? Or do you look at other factors before you would assess them um as far as the nutrition or the more medical side um i guess both yeah so 
We're usually trying to just be really curious in the eval um, mm-hmm. for both, I think, and just try to get an understanding of the, the athlete and, and all the systems. So, you know, when I'm doing a nutrition evaluation, I'm really trying to understand, you know, their relationship with food, but also just ask the general questions that come up with, like, you know, relative energy availability or even, like, behaviors, like, even trying to understand. Right. Because um, so many of them, you know, will partake in some or many will partake in, like, disordered behaviors, and it'll be so normalized. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I see in my yeah. practice all the time. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, it's a really, for me, just been about, like, having a conversation with them and just kind of letting them explain their experiences and kind of letting it kind of come out of the woodwork almost in a way. Um, and so it's usually keeping in the back of my mind that, okay, if, if there's a suspected some sort of feeding pathology, like, let me just try to understand you know, where that's coming from or what that could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's, sometimes it starts off as just trying to get them to, you know, recognize that it's low energy availability and the debate is, is it an eating disorder or is it totally un- unintentional? Right. It's trying to almost like determine that distinction. Um, yeah. Because some, I'll let them know, I'm like, hey, you know, your body's like a smartphone and if we're not getting enough fuel, it's going to go in more battery mode and that's not going to be helpful for health and performance. So let's give your body more. <laughs> that's a very uh, and, 21st century way to put it. <laughs> right? I know. I have, to, I have to keep it relevant with the, with the high school. I know. Students. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, so I'm like, so I guess most of you have smartphones. I, yeah. I take that. Um, I had a Nokia when I was your age. Um, <laughs> I didn't even have a phone. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, were, you were like, we didn't have phones. We we just told people where we were going and when. Yeah. And trusted it was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So with patients, I guess one thing I'm wondering about. So an athlete mm-hmm. comes in, and you know, you assess them if they do have some signs that either they're not eating enough, or be, whether it's because of an eating disorder or not. What mm-hmm. what's the next steps for them, and sort of what do you tell them and their family? Yeah, absolutely. So my first step is typically education. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like the identification and being able to say, you know, based on what I'm hearing you share with me, I'm, you know, I'm sensing that there, I have a sense of what's going, what could be occurring here, or something along those lines. And then I usually start to talk more about. You know, eating disorder, not about relative energy deficiency in sport. Right. And, that know, word's my, very long in, and confusing. Yeah. yeah. Right. And like in my office setting, I'm fortunate that like, I can pull up a slide of the red model on my computer screen oh, and nice. really okay. show it and talk through it a little bit and say like, you know, this is relative energy deficiency in sport. And I'll, I'll use some smartphone analogy, um, which it usually gets, you know, a chuckle from the parents and, and the kids will get it. They're like, I understand. Yeah. Um, and really kind of show that to them and say, you know, there are potential causes for this and that, you know, it can be, you know, something that is, you know, you can maybe have that lack of knowledge. It sounds like, you know, some are like they just get into that, you know, lack of appetite loop and then just feed back. Um, but for the others, I can say, you know, I'm sensing there's some discomfort with the idea of the increasing food, um, whether it be like it's a follow-up and they have not increased or I make a recommendation and they're really starting to like push back on it a bit mm-hmm. um, and feel kind of anxious about it, which I mean, it'll differ athlete to athlete, but I really just start with the education and try to kind of gauge where the athletes at and what they're willing to do um, and really try to work together to see, 
if we're trying to increase intake, how can we form a goal around that together um, and really make it collaborative and try to get them really buying in right, definitely the importance of it. And it really has been for me about like speaking athlete's language, uh, which is as a, as a former athlete myself, it's also been really helpful to say like, look, I get it. Like timing tough or practices. Are yeah. wrong. And being able to, and being able to like understand that, but being able to say, you know, that feeling is going to be really crucial for you and important. So how can we make this process as, you know, supportive for you as possible? Definitely. And for, yeah. And so kind of through that process, we can, start to think about like why those tweaks are important and how they can you know have that self-efficacy and advocate for themselves to make some of those goals um, and then if they're really starting to present with more restricted pathology or really a lot of concern around you know increases or they just have they have other maladaptive eating behaviors like purging or something then it's starting to you know point those out and say like see these are really concerning we should think about how we we should really think about addressing these and really starting to then say you know if they don't have a team start to talk about pulling that together and things like that right yeah it's really Mm -hmm. wonderful to hear about you know the program having you and the psychologists as well because I think what can be really tough is going to the doctor and being told like, okay, so like you're not eating enough or, or whatever they, they boil it down right. to in their, you know, 15 minutes with you. Um, mm-hmm. And then you kind of walk out and you're like, well, now what, you know, and for parents, it can right. be really hard to know what the next step should be. Um, mm-hmm. And if they don't know a lot about eating disorders, I mean, I get questions all the time from people I work with and, and podcast listeners, just like, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? And like, how seriously do I take this? It just seems like, mm-hmm. you know, kid eat more, you know, <laughs> like, um, yeah. And, <laughs> and and, like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think it's actually really, really hard because like, for instance, in my example, I mean, I went, I saw Dr. Ackerman. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I was probably pretty checked out <laughs> at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like 16 <laughs> and like not paying attention. And, right. um, my mom, told me recently that Dr. Ackerman told her, you know, like her weight is not low, um, but I don't think she's eating enough like for her. Like this might be right. a, a too low weight for her, even though you don't think it's low. That, that was a lot of <laughs> convoluted way to put that. But like in simpler terms, you know, my, on the charts, I didn't look underweight, but right. she's like, oh, she's underweight for her. But as a mm-hmm. parent, it's like where where do you go from there, and how are you how are you supposed to know what to do um, when a doctor tells you that? Right, absolutely, and I think it's it's already such like a sensitive subject to really get into. I like as a parent that it's like how do we go through this and feel like there's like a way to navigate it, and you know whether your child has an eating disorder or not, like how do we support this so that everyone's kind of like on the same page. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's definitely something like we see a lot of young, you know, kids, high school, collegiate athletes who come in with their parents. And so a lot of it, you know, trying to figure out depending on age and like awkwardness the, being in the room. Yeah. Right. And like <laughs> how much the kid wants the parent involved and vice versa. So it's trying to figure out like, okay, what's our formula here? For, right. You know, what steps we need to take. I mean, the follow-up is so critical. Um, which is, you know, definitely, I think, true of, of treatment at all levels, but really that follow-up and really being able to say, like, okay, like, 
let's find a starting point and then we'll go from there. Right. Um, yeah. We try to like roll roll with it that way. Um, but absolutely, it, it can be a lot, especially if you've seen um, medical and all of a sudden there's all this new terminology that's introduced. Yeah. That you've never heard before. Yeah. And I think something for my mom that kind of was weird is that she only knew about eating disorders as like someone with anorexia. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you're a parent and you're walking into, you know, the doctor's office and you're just like, okay, my kid might have a stress fracture or something. You don't Mm -hmm. expect to suddenly be hit with like eating disorders. She needs to eat more. She might need to see a psychologist, you know, a dietitian, like all this stuff. It can be really overwhelming. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's, that's a conversation we have a lot more. Um, And I'm really glad the diagnostic criteria is starting to reflect this. Oh yeah. (laughs) the body does not have to look a particular way for someone to be undernourished, for yeah. someone to be, yeah, struggling with eating pathology. And I'm so glad that that's finally starting to become more apparent for also, like, you know, the medical community and right. everyone to, like, understand because it's, it's not like you're, there's not a one look to an eating disorder. Yeah. Do you ever have parents, like, push back? So, say, you know, you or a doctor or someone else in the group says, you know, I think your child might not be eating enough or like they don't weigh enough for mm-hmm. them. Do you have parents ever like push back and say like, like, but obesity or something? Like, I don't know. I get that sometimes. I, so yeah, absolutely. We get it occasionally. And I think it, it, it is very dependent. Like some, sometimes it's, you know, a parent who's just not seeing the pathology, um, even if the, or that the, the, their child is doing a really good job of downplaying their behavior. Oh yeah. Yeah. Or the severity. The skill. Um, but, so that's where we're really starting to use all the information that we collect as mm-hmm. almost like evidence to support our hypothesis. So right. when someone sees one of our physicians, they're getting lab orders, they're getting ingesta, they're getting everything kind of set, they're getting your orthostatic checked for their heart rate. And mm-hmm. so we're really able to, when those things start to look awry, um, start to explain what their body's doing. And so you know, really starting to understand and explain the differences between, like, the athlete's heart and the sick heart um, and how, like, when an athlete goes from sit to stand and their heart's healthy, there's a better adjustment than if their heart's undernourished. And so, like, educating about things like that, starting to kind of speak to the ways that the body really adjusts in um, a way that can be, you know, very unhealthy when, when an athlete's not getting enough fuel. Definitely. So we... The education becomes key there, but we, we do certainly get the, the parents who either don't see it or are concerned. Um, like if we have an athlete who comes in from more of an aesthetic sport background um, yeah. or weight class sport, like there's the concern about, you know, not being like appropriate for the sport or not having a certain appearance. And it's trying to figure out like very similar to what Dr. Ackerman said to your mom, like it's really about what's healthiest for that child. Right. Um, and saying, like, whatever's happening right now, that is not healthy for that child. So how can we best support it, the best support him or her to get where they where they need to go and really trying to help the parent kind of come through in that way. Yeah. Do you ever mm-hmm. find yourself, like, at odds in terms of, you know, all of the public health messaging or even the work in a lot of the medical fields, you know, in the Boston area, trying to prevent um, obesity and your work in the eating disorder realm? Yeah, I'm trying to think here because, like, I think a lot of it is fortunately being 
in the group that I am, I think a lot of it is just trying to focus in on the health and wellness. So I feel like in some ways I've been kind of insulated from that. Right. Yeah, that's um, how I feel. Great. And then, you know, yeah. I will like walk out into the rest of the world and I'm like, oh, no, right? <laughs> like, what is I know. going I, like, on? I open up my laptop and I check like even some of the like nutrition listservs that I'm on, the, yeah. on and there's like all this stuff about it. I'm like, oh, out there. Um, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I'm very fortunate in that I feel like I'm able to operate in my own like almost like bubble where I don't have to bring like that's very much not a part of the conversation and I actually do a lot of like education around how the BMI is just you know garbage Um, (laughs) yes I was gonna say a bunch of hooing but I was like I don't know if that makes sense yeah no it does because I'm like I tell my especially my like Boston days athletes like we see guys soon I'm like um I'm like you know Gronkowski if you were to look at his BMI start it would get like be like way offline yeah. So like a bunch of them goes, yeah, I get that. I was like, and so many athletes are the damn. I mean, nothing. Yeah, it doesn't um, make any sense. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's, and then I use like something like that, and usually I get like a chuckle or a nod, and then they're like, "Am I think Gronkowski great athlete?" They're like, "Yes." I'm like, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> trying to, yeah. So I use a lot of things like that because I definitely, and because I am so fortunate to be inflated, I feel like I can do more education to help these athletes see themselves as more than just like a body shape or size yeah and try to focus in on their health and their body function um and let that be the primary um and i get into that conversation with race weight a lot i'm not sure if you kind of run into that in, in, into in what race weight some um, racing weight like for one oh yeah oh yeah all the time <laughs> yeah right exactly and so i like run into that conversation with like racing weight and like athletes wanting to be like at, at a certain dictated weight and I, like, try to reframe that and say, like, hey, let's think about, like, where your body would be when you're feeling appropriately. Right. You're giving what about, like, fueled like, for racing or something? Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you're fueled for racing, that's your race weight. And it may change as you get older. You're a teenager. Um, yeah. The pros, are, the pros are not racing in their 16-year-old bodies. And right. Really trying to, like, and they're going faster, it. right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. So a lot of, like, that conversation around, like, yeah weight and and bmi and all of that i feel like i've been able to yeah fortunately not have to really touch that all that much but really just focus in on an athlete and say like okay let's think about your health your performance mm-hmm. how do we get you to be the best you can be um and focusing on all that stuff won't, won't get us there let's focus on you definitely and so mm-hmm. what do you say to you know someone who comes in the door and they just can't let go of the idea that, you know, they should be a certain size, shape, or weight, and they are, like, really stuck in that diet culture mentality. What do you say mm-hmm. to them to try to get them out of that, especially in the sports world? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, a lot of it, I try to think about, you know, how to best explain, you know, how diet culture is designed, um, mm-hmm. especially for those who are stuck in like the diet cycle um, and really try to explain. And I think there's a lot of dietitians who do a great job of this, but I've kind of used their explanations as like, yeah. examples. God I mean, bless especially Instagram. Especially ones who are in the Boston yeah. area um, who like are on their Instagrams like with these, all these inspirational like guidelines yeah. about, like, how now adaptive diet culture is. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like I do a lot of, uh, you know, discussion around like how diet culture is designed, how it came to be. And the fact that it's so successful because it just creates this sense of like, try a behavior, fail at it, and then 
rebound, try another one. And like kind of, the yeah, cycle. now that's a cycle that's all about self-blame. Um, and actually in athletes, I see a lot of more recently, a lot of the discussion around like some of these like health documentaries that have come out. Oh my God. Um, the vegan ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Game Changers one. I think yes. The one that's that the one that recently. I hear about all the time. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so you hear about it a lot. And the way I like to explain it, cause I'm like, if you think about that documentary, it's like, it's really an advertisement for the vegan mindset. Yeah. It's not necessarily an all-encompassing view at all the different diets that are available yeah. for one view to sample. Yeah. Um, so it's really like trying to think about like... Also funded you know, by <laughs> vegan right. source. <laughs> right. Whatever. I'm like, I'm like, let's think about, you know, what you're really thinking of you're going to gain from doing the diet and then what you could really you know, benefit from if you just ate flexibly and, you know, I'm an all food fit dietitian, non-diet dietitian. I'm yeah. very upfront with saying that. Yeah. Athlete. Yeah, me too. So I'm like, I'm like, caveat, this is, I'm not going to put you on a diet and I'm not going to recommend one. Um, because the other thing I like to tell them too is like, I want, you know, I think eating for health and performance is great, but that's not the only reason we eat. We eat because it's right. good, it's social and we're celebrating. Yeah. And, and if you're on a diet, you're, you can't do any of that with any diet because yeah. there's something that's telling you no in some way. Right. And that's, and then I, I point to that and I'm like, and that's where, you know, you know, if you had a birthday party, do you want to have cake? <laughs> and like the answer should be them. yes. Yeah. Right, exactly. Your answer should be yes, and you should know exactly what you want. Like, I know on my birthday, I want some funfetti cake. Yeah. I know that. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's amazing. It's, there's nothing better than that box cake mix for me for some reason. But it's like, I want, you know, when someone's stuck in that diet culture, really trying to help, you know, talk through and understand why that's important to them has been a piece of it for me. Awesome. And then trying to think about, like, what they lose by being on the diet, but what they can gain from having a more flexible approach and a more often fit approach mm-hmm. um, and for I think for all ages that kind of starts to speak to them because you know there there are multi, so many of those reasons to eat. maybe it's that they want to be able to go out with their friends yeah um, or they don't want to feel you know so attached to the treadmill on a weekend when they know they're you know doing brunch uh, later in the day and things like that and so it's really starting to think about how to free them of that and you know, so many of them at that point are like, yeah, you know, I would like to change that. Yeah, huh. yeah. It would be nice <laughs> to like have a donut when someone brings in donuts at work or something. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, well, don't you want to celebrate National Pizza Day? Right. Like, yeah. Don't want us to celebrate that. <laughs> For sure. Well, Nicole, mm-hmm. I have had so much fun talking with you and um, definitely going to have to call you back on the podcast at some point. <laughs> Um, I would love that. I've had such a great time chatting with you too. This has been so fun. Oh, good. Yeah. And so I ask every, every person on the podcast at the end of the show, what their favorite food is. Although I have a guess at what yours might be already. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I haven't mentioned my favorite food yet. Okay. um, Surprisingly, which is shocking. Um, My actually, if I had to pick one, I think I would pick a burger. Oh, wow. Um, That's awesome. I love a good hamburger, and I, you know, I grew up in California, so, like, In-N-Out was, like, a staple of mine. Okay. Um, but I just love that it's, like, a little bit of everything. Um, Do you have favorite so toppings? A burger with avocado. And okay. Dead. A California burger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How do you yeah. feel about the, the fried egg on the burger situation? Ooh, I wouldn't say no to it. I don't do it all the time. Okay. But... 
I have mixed feelings. Mixed Yogi reviews. Fried egg yeah. action. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And if my listeners want to find you, where should they go? Absolutely. So if listeners want to find me, um, I am at the Female Athlete Program at Boston Children's Hospital. You can, you know, come say hello to me there. But on social media, I'm on uh, Twitter um, and I'm on Instagram, uh, Nicole Farnsworth underscore RD. Awesome. Well, thank you so much and have a great Friday. Thank you. You too. If you enjoyed this show, I hope you'll take a minute to rate and review it or share it with a friend. Um, that would help you know others find us. And we're always looking for more people to become aware about eating disorders. So I hope you enjoyed this um, and I'll see you back next week. Bye.